Chapter One, Part Two of Laddie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Laddie by Jean Stratton Porter. Chapter One, Part Two. Little Sister. It was wonderful how the sound of my own voice gave me courage, even if it did seem a little strange. So I hurried to the beach, knelt and slipped the letter in the box, and put back the bark and stone. Laddie had said that nothing could hurt me while I had the letter. So my protection was gone as soon as it left my hands. There was nothing but my feet to save me now. I thanked goodness I was a fine runner and started for the pawpaw thicket. Once there, I paused only one minute to see whether the way to the stream was clear, and while standing tense and gazing, I heard something. For an instant, it was every bit as bad as at the dry creek. Then I realized that this was a soft voice singing, and I forgot everything else in a glow of delight. The princess was coming. Never in all my life was I so surprised, and astonished, and bewildered. She was even larger than our Sally. Her dress was pale green, like I thought a fairy's should be. Her eyes were deep and dark, as Laddie had said. Her hair hung from a part in the middle of her forehead over her shoulders, and if she had been in the sun, it would have gleamed like a blackbird's wing. She was just as Laddie said she would be. She was so much more beautiful than you would suppose any woman could be. I stood there dumbly staring. I wouldn't have asked for any one more perfectly beautiful, or more like Laddie had said the princess would be. But she was no more the daughter of the fairy queen than I was. She was not any more of a princess. If father would tell all about the little bauble he kept in the till of his big chest, maybe she was not as near. She was no one on earth but one of those new English people who had moved on the land that cornered with ours on the northwest. She had ridden over the roads and been at our meeting house. There could be no mistake. And neither father nor mother would want her on our place. They didn't like her family at all. Mother called them the neighborhood mystery, and father spoke of them as the infidels. They had dropped from nowhere, mother said, bought that splendid big farm, moved on, and shut everyone out. Before anyone knew people were shut out, mother, dressed in her finest, with Laddie driving, went in the carriage, all shining. To make friends with them. This very girl opened the door and said that her mother was indisposed and could not see callers. Indisposed, that's a good word that fills your mouth. But our mother didn't like having it used to her. She said the saucy chit was insulting. Then the man came and he said he was very sorry, but his wife would see no one. He did invite mother in, but she wouldn't go. She told us she could see past him into the house. And there was such finery as never in all her days had she laid eyes on. She said he was mannerly as could be, but he had the coldest, severest face she ever saw. They had two men and a woman servant, and no one could coax a word from them about why those people acted as they did. They said orse and ouse and hengland. They talked so funny you couldn't have understood them anyway. They never plowed or put in a crop. They made everything into a meadow and had more horses, cattle, and sheep than a county fair, and everything you ever knew with feathers, even peacocks. We could hear them scream whenever it was going to rain. Father said they sounded heathenish. I rather liked them. The man had stacks of money, or they couldn't have lived the way they did. He came to our house twice on business, once to see about road laws and again about tax rates. Father was mightily pleased at first. Because Mr. Pryor seemed to have books and to know everything, and father thought it would be fine to be neighbors. But the minute Mr. Pryor finished business, he began to argue that every single thing father and mother believed was wrong. 
He said right out in plain English that God was a myth. Father told him pretty quickly that no man could say that in his house. So he left suddenly and had not been back since. And Father didn't want him ever to come again. Then their neighbors often saw the woman around the house and garden. She looked and acted quite as well as anyone. So probably she was not half so sick as my mother, who had nursed three of us through typhoid fever, and then had it herself when she was all tired out. She wouldn't let a soul know she had a pain until she dropped over and couldn't take another step, and Father or Laddie carried her to bed. But she went everywhere, saw all her friends, and did more good from her bed than any woman in our neighborhood could on her feet. So we thought mighty little of those prior people. Everyone said the girl was pretty. Then her clothes drove the other woman crazy. Some of our neighborhood came from far down east, like my mother. Our people back a little were from over the sea, and they knew how things should be to be right. Many of the others were from Kentucky and Virginia, and they were well dressed, proud, handsome women, none better looking anywhere. They followed the fashions and spent much time and money on their clothes. When it was quarterly meeting, or the bishop dedicated the church, or they went to town on court days, you should have seen them. Until priors came. Then something new happened, and not a woman in our neighborhood liked it. Pamela Pryor didn't follow the fashions. She set them. If every other woman made long, tight sleeves to their wrists, she let hers flow to the elbow and filled them with silk lining, ruffled with lace. If they wore high neck bands, she had none, and used a flat lace collar. If they cut their waists straight around and gathered their skirts on six yards full, she ran hers down to a little point front and back that made her look slenderer and put only half as much goods in her skirt. Maybe Laddie rode as well as she could. He couldn't manage a horse any better. And aside from him, there wasn't a man we knew who would have tried to ride some of the animals she did. If she ever worked a stroke, no one knew it. All day long she sat in the parlor, the very best one, every day, or on benches under the trees, with embroidery frames or books, some of them fearful, big, difficult-looking ones, or rode over the country. She rode in sunshine and she rode in storm, until you would think she couldn't see her way through her tangled black hair. She rode through snow and in pouring rain, when she could have stayed out of it, if she had wanted to. She didn't seem to be afraid of anything on earth or in heaven. Everyone thought she was like her father, and didn't believe there was any God. So when she came among us at church, or any public gathering, as she sometimes did, people were in no hurry to be friendly, while she looked straight ahead, and never spoke until she was spoken to. And then she was precise and cold, I tell you. Men took off their hats, got out of the road when she came pounding along, and stared after her, like beaddled mummies, my mother said. But that was all she, or anyone else, could say. The young fellows were wild about her. And if they tried to sidle up to her in the hope that they might lead her horse, or get to hold her foot when she mounted, they always saw when they reached her that she wasn't there. But she was here. I had seen her only a few times, but this was the prior girl, just as sure as I would have known if it had been Sally. What dazed me was that she answered in every particular the description Laddie had given me of the Queen's daughter, and worst of all, from the day she came among us, moving so proud and cold. Blabbing old Hannah Dover said she carried herself like a princess. As if Hannah Dover knew how a princess carried herself. Every living soul, my father even, had called her the princess. At first it was because she was like they thought a princess would be. But later they did it in meanness, to make fun. After they knew her name, they were used to calling her the princess, 
so they kept it up. But some of them were secretly proud of her, because she could look, and do, and be what they would have given anything to, and they knew they couldn't to save them. I was never in such a fix in all my life. She looked more as Laddie had said the princess would than you would have thought any woman could. But she was Pamela Pryor, nonetheless. Everyone called her the princess, but she couldn't make reality out of that. She just couldn't be the fairy queen's daughter, so the letter couldn't possibly be for her. She had no business in our woods. You could see that they had plenty of their own. She went straight to the door of the willow room and walked in as if she belonged there. What if she found the hollow and took Laddie's letter? Fast as I could slip over the leaves, I went back. She was on the moss carpet, on her knees, and the letter was in her fingers. It's a good thing to have your manners soundly thrashed into you. You've got to be scared stiff before you forget them. I wasn't so afraid of her as I would have been if I had known she was the princess, and have Laddie's letter, she should not. What had the kind of girl she was, from a home like hers, to teach anyone from our house about making sunshine? I was at the willow wall by that time peering through, so I just parted it a little and said, Please put back that letter where you got it. It isn't for you. She knelt on the mosses, the letter in her hand, and her face, as she turned to me, was rather startled. But when she saw me, she laughed, and said in the sweetest voice I ever heard, Are you so very sure of that? Well, I ought to be, I said. I put it there. Might I inquire for whom you put it there? No, ma'am, that's a secret. You should have seen the light flame in her eyes, the red deepen on her cheeks, and the little curl of laughter that curved her lips. How interesting, she cried. I wonder now if you are not little sister. I am to Laddie and our folks, I said. You are a stranger. All the dancing lights went from her face. She looked as if she were going to cry, unless she hurried up and swallowed it down hard and fast. That is quite true, she said. I am a stranger. Do you know that being a stranger is the hardest thing that can happen to anyone in all this world? Then why don't you open your doors, invite your neighbors in, go to see them, and stop your father from saying such dreadful things? They are not my doors, she said. And could you keep your father from saying anything he chooses? I stood and blinked at her. Of course I wouldn't even dare try that. I'm so sorry, was all I could think to say. I couldn't ask her to come to our house. I knew no one wanted her. But if I couldn't speak for the others, surely I might for myself. I let go the willows and went to the door. The princess arose and sat on the seat Laddie had made for the queen's daughter. It was an awful pity to tell her she shouldn't sit there. For I had my doubts if the real true princess would be half as lovely when she came, if she ever did. Some way the princess, who was not a princess, appeared so real, I couldn't keep from being confused and forgetting that she was only just Pamela Pryor. Already the lovely lights had gone from her face until it made me so sad I wanted to cry, and I was no easy crybaby either. If I couldn't offer friendship for my family, I would for myself. You may call me little sister if you like, I said. I won't be a stranger. Why, how lovely, cried the princess. You should have seen the dancing lights fly back to her eyes. Probably you won't believe this, but the first thing I knew, I was beside her on the throne. Her arm was around me, and it's the gospel truth that she hugged me tight. I just had sense enough to reach over and pick Laddie's letter from her fingers, and then I was on her side. I don't know what she did to me, but all at once I knew that she was dreadfully lonely, that she hated being a stranger, that she was sorry enough to cry because their house was one of mystery, 
and that she would open the door if she could. "'I like you,' I said, reaching up to touch her curls. "'I never had seen her that I did not want to. "'They were like what I thought they would be. "'Father and Laddie and some of us had wavy hair. "'But hers was crisp, and it clung to your fingers and wrapped around them, "'and seemed to tug at your heart like it does when a baby grips you. "'I drew away my hand, and the hair stretched out until it was long as any of ours, "'and then curled up again, and you could see that no tins had stabbed into her head to make those curls.' I began trying to single out one hair. "'What are you doing?' she asked. "'I want to know if only one hair is strong enough to draw a drowning man from the water, or strangle an unhappy one,' I said. "'Believe me, no,' cried the princess. "'It would take all I have, woven into a rope, to do that.' "'Laddie knows curls that just one hair of them is strong enough,' I boasted. "'I wonder now,' said the princess. "'I think he must have been making poetry, or telling fairy tales.' He was telling the truth, I assured her. Father doesn't believe in fairies, and mother laughs, but Laddie and I know. Do you believe in fairies? Of course I do, she said. Then you know that this could be an enchanted wood? I have found it so, said the princess. And maybe this is a magic carpet? It surely is a magic carpet. And you might be the daughter of the queen? Your eyes are moonlit pools of darkness. If only your hair were stronger— "'and you knew about making sunshine. "'Maybe it is stronger than I think. "'It never has been tested. "'Perhaps I do know about making sunshine. "'Possibly I am as true as the wood in the carpet.' "'I drew away and stared at her. "'The longer I looked, the more uncertain I became. "'Maybe her mother was the queen. "'Perhaps that was the mystery. "'It might be the reason she didn't want the people to see her.' Maybe she was so busy making sunshine for the princess to bring to Laddie that she had no time to sew carpet rags and go to quiltings and funerals and make visits. It was hard to know what to think. "'I wish you'd tell me plain out if you are the queen's daughter,' I said. "'It's most important. You can't have this letter unless I know. It's the very first time Laddie ever trusted me with a letter, and I just can't give it to the wrong person.' "'Then why don't you leave it where he told you?' "'But you have gone and found the place. "'You started to take it once. "'You would again soon as I left.' "'Look me straight in the eyes, little sister,' said the princess softly. "'Am I like a person who would take anything that didn't belong to her?' "'No,' I said instantly. "'How do you think I happened to come to this place?' "'Maybe our woods are prettier than yours.' "'How do you think I knew where the letter was?' "'I shook my head.' "'If I show you some others exactly like the one you have there, "'then will you believe that it is for me?' "'Yes,' I answered. "'I believed it anyway. "'It just seemed so, the better you knew her.' "'The princess slipped her hand among the folds of the trailing pale green skirt, "'and from a hidden pocket drew other letters exactly like the one I held. "'She opened one, and ran her finger along the top line, and I read, "'To the princess.' "'And then she pointed to the ending, and it was merely signed, "'Laddie.' "'but all the words written between were his writing. "'Slowly I handed her the letter. "'You don't want me to have it?' she asked. "'Yes,' I said. "'I want you to have it if Laddie wrote it for you. "'But mother and father won't. Not at all.' "'What makes you think so?' she asked gently. "'Don't you know what people say about you?' "'Some of it, perhaps.' "'Well?' "'Do you think it is true?' "'Not that you're stuck up and hateful and proud.' Not that you don't want to be neighborly with other people. No, I don't think that. But your father said in our home that there was no God, 
"'and you wouldn't let my mother in "'when she put on her best dress "'and went in the carriage "'and wanted to be friends. "'I have to believe that.' "'Yes, you can't help believing that,' said the princess. "'Then can't you see why you'll be likely to show Laddie the way to find trouble, instead of sunshine?' "'I can see,' said the princess. "'Oh, princess, you won't do it, will you?' I cried. "'Don't you think such a big man as Laddie can take care of himself?' she asked, and the dancing lights that had begun to fade came back. "'Over there,' she pointed through our woods, toward the southwest, "'lives a man you know. What do his neighbors call him?' "'Stiff-necked Johnny,' I answered promptly. "'And the man who lives next him?' "'Pinch-fist Williams.' "'Her finger veered to another neighbor's. "'The girls of that house?' "'Gigglehead Smithsons.' "'What about the man who lives over there?' "'He beats his wife.' "'And the house beyond?' "'Mother whispers about them. I don't know.' "'And the woman on the hill?' "'She doesn't do anything but gossip and make everyone trouble.' "'Exactly,' said the princess.' "'Yet most of these people come to your house, and your family goes to theirs. "'Do you suppose people they know nothing about are so much worse than these others? "'If your father will take it back about God, and your mother will let people in, "'my father and mother both wanted to be friends, you know.' "'That I can't possibly do,' she said. "'But maybe I could change their feelings toward me.' "'Do it!' I cried. "'Oh, I'd just love you to do it. "'I wish you would come to our house and be friends. "'Sally is pretty as you are, only a different way.' "'and I know she'd like you, and so would Shelley. "'If Laddie writes you letters and comes here about sunshine, "'of course he'd be delighted if Mother knew you, "'because she loves him best of any of us. "'She depends on him most as much as Father.' "'Then will you keep the secret until I have time to try? "'Say, until this time next year?' "'I'll keep it just as long as Laddie wants me to.' "'Good,' said the princess. "'No wonder Laddie thinks you the finest little sister anyone ever had.' "'Does Laddie think that?' I asked. "'He does indeed,' said the princess. "'That I'm not afraid to go home,' I said, "'and I'll bring his letter the next time he can't come.' "'Were you scared this time?' "'I told her about that something in the dry bed. "'The wolves, wildcats, Patty Ryan, and the gypsies.' "'You little goosey,' said the princess. "'I am afraid that Brother Leon of yours "'is the biggest rogue loose in this part of the country.' "'Didn't it ever occur to you that people named Wolf lived over there, "'and they call that crowd next to us wildcats, "'because they just went on some land and took it, "'and began living there without any more permission "'than real wildcats asked to enter the woods? "'Do you suppose I would be here, and everywhere else I want to go, "'if there were any danger? "'Did anything really harm you coming?' "'You're harmed when you're scared until you can't breathe,' I said. "'Anyway, nothing could get me coming, "'because I held the letter tight in my hand, like Laddie said.' "'If you'd write me one to take back, I'd be safe going home.' "'I see,' said the princess. "'But I've no pencil, and no paper, "'unless I use the back of one of Laddie's letters, "'and that wouldn't be polite.' "'You can make new fashions,' I said. "'But you don't know much about the woods, do you? "'I could fix fifty ways to send a message to Laddie.' "'How would you?' asked the princess. "'Running to the pawpaw bushes, I pulled some big, tender leaves. "'Then I took the bark from the box and laid a leaf on it. "'Press with one of your rings,' I said, "'and print what you want to say. "'I write to the fairies every day that way, "'only I use an old knife-handle.' "'She tried. "'She spoiled two or three "'by bearing down so hard she cut the leaves. "'She didn't even know enough to write on the frosty side "'until she was told. "'But pretty soon she got along so well "'she printed all over two big ones. "'Then I took a stick and punched little holes "'and stuck a piece of foxfire bloom through. "'What makes you do that?' she asked. 
That's the stamp, I explained. But it's my letter, and I didn't put it there. Has to be there, or the fairies won't like it, I said. Well, then, let it go, said the princess. I put back the bark and replaced the stone, gathered up the scattered leaves, and put the two with writing on between fresh ones. Now I must run, I said, or Laddie will think the gypsies have got me ashore. I'll go with you past the dry creek, she offered. You'd better not, I said. I'd love to have you, but it would be best for you to change their opinion before father or mother sees you on their land. Perhaps it would, said the princess. I'll wait here until you reach the fence, and then you call, and I'll know you are in the open and feel comfortable. I am most all over being afraid now, I told her. Just to show her, I walked to the creek, climbed the gate, and went down the lane. Almost to the road, I began wondering what I could do with the letter. When looking ahead, I saw Laddie coming. I was just starting to find you. You've been an age, child, he said. I held up the letter. No one is looking, I said, and this won't go in your pocket. You should have seen his face. Where did you get it? he asked. I told him all about it. I told him everything about the hair that maybe was stronger than she thought, and that she was going to change father's and mother's opinions, and that I put the red flower on, but she left it. And when I was done, Laddie almost hugged the life out of me. I never did see him so happy. If you be very, very careful never to breathe a whisper, I'll take you with me some day, he promised. End of chapter one.